Hey, welcome to High Resolution. My name is Bobby Goshal. And I'm Jared Arandu. Today we've got a guest who is a master of design, except she's a little bit different. She used to be a designer, mm -hmm. but now she's one of the best people in the world at executive staffing and recruiting in the design industry. Who is it? That's Judy Wirt. Judy is the founder of Wirt & Company. She's going to tell us how she's been recruiting the best designers for over 20 years, what she sees in the top 1% of those designers, and what she'd actually look for if you were to interview with her. Her story is amazing. She's amazing. Stick around. This one's going to be worth it. Thanks to Squarespace for their support. Whether you need a domain, a website, or an online store, make your next move with Squarespace. Visit squarespace.com and enter the code HIGHRESOLUTION, one word, for 10% off your first purchase. Judy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So first question, what's one thing about design that's clear to you that you don't think is so clear to other people? You know, I've been thinking about this question. It's a, it's a tough question to answer. We all know design is everywhere. It's here. It's, it, it's what we breathe every day. It's what we touch every day. It's what we experience every day. It's everywhere. So I think when I think about that question, I think more about the human factor of design and the stories and the narratives of the people that are behind the design. Mm. That's the lens of which I see the world. That's how I learn about design. But it's always through people and through stories. And I was thinking about a good way to think about people's stories is actually through a children's book that I was talking to a group of students about the other day. And have you guys ever read Harold and the Purple Crayon? Mm -hmm. No, I haven't. Well, you must read it. <laughs> I have a kid now, though, so I could. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful story about this boy named Harold. And he has this blank page or blank world in which he can create his canvas. Mm -hmm. And he takes his purple crayon and he creates these mountains and he creates these tall buildings and he creates these dragons, all a part of his world. Mm -hmm. And it's it's got a lot of wisdom behind the simplicity. And, and I think that's the lens that I see design is millions of design talent at all stages mm. with their purple crayon. Mm. And it's, an, it's, it's um, exhilarating to watch people go through that journey mm -hmm. and to study their story and then to think about even in this room or when you go into an airport or wherever you go, like there's a million, trillion, billion little stories because everything is about design. Yeah. Like just this. and. Who's behind this, and what are their what are their families about, and you know, do they have an elderly parent? Do they have six dogs? You know, yeah. that's what I think about when I think of design are the people yeah. and yeah. their stories. When we 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 met with Tom Kelly recently, and he talked about the three factors of design, mm -hmm. right? So you've got the business factors, you've got the technology factors and the human factors, so you touched on human factors. I'm curious, is, is the human factor something you've always known was an integral part of design, or is that something that evolved uh, with your understanding of design and the design? Well, when I talk about human factors, it's, a, it's slightly different the way you know Tom ah. would talk about mm -hmm. it. I talk about it as the human factor. Mm -hmm. Slightly different emphasis on the word versus human factors versus human factor. Mm -hmm. So I'm paying attention to the human issues 
ah. that um, are built into design. Because mm -hmm. design is by the people for the people. Yes. But it is by people mm -hmm. who have real stories. I see what you're yes. Right. So you started your career as a designer and then you moved into executive recruiting. Um, what drew you to that kind of work? Like, how did you get into recruiting and what does that actually mean to you today? Fair question. It's true. I started as a designer. And you don't study to become a recruiter. There's no recruiting school yet. However, when I, it really was a little bit of an accident that I fell into recruiting. Um, I was practicing design. My husband and I moved abroad. We came back to New York, had a little eight-month-old at the time, and I needed a job. And I had practiced design. I was in design management. I worked for Fortune 500 companies. And um, someone thought that I might be a good recruiter. So I'm like, I need a job. I'm going to just dive right in and give it a shot. And it really... Within a month, I was like, I love this work. This is about taking the knowledge I have around design. At that time, it was more classical, traditional design. My interest in people mm. and um, having worked in LA and Minneapolis and Chicago, in Israel, I had like different communities that were starting to just be naturally part of my, the extension of my world, professionally, professionally and personally. So, and my career kind of just took off, melding all these pieces together. Um, I think I'm a designer first and a recruiter second. Mm. Um, but I think my recruiting is absolutely, has mirrors design process in every sense of the way. How, in the way that we think about our approach, the way we the way we navigate through searches and clients and relationships. So I realize that this is a couple decades ago that you started working in this world, is that right? Um, I, my design career started in 79, my sure. recruiting um, in 91. Okay, so I realize it's a long time ago, but... I can I remember exactly the day. Perfect, well, that's the question then. Yeah. Like what, so the Judy today yeah. and the Judy of 91 mm -hmm. getting into executive recruiting and mm -hmm. staffing. Um, so you said you use a design process to, to get better at this world. Yeah. What's the difference between that Judy and this Judy? Well, the Judy as a designer, mm. you know, I was working on you know, a variety of projects. It was very focused, um, head to the ground in many ways back then. Um, we didn't even have computers when I started design. It mm -hmm. was we were still sketching and moving Rubylith and mm -hmm. Pantone paper and Letraset. Remember Letraset? I used to love Letraset. Um, so I think when I became a recruiter, I had to absolutely integrate into business in a more yeah. serious way, and I had to. I made an intentional decision to focus, my medium was no longer the tools of design. My medium was people. Mm. And that's the biggest difference, is that instead of the story through type and color and layout, my, my output was the story of people and conversations. I read an interesting quote from you recently. I'd like to tell you the quote, 
Yeah. And I'd like you to expand on what you meant by it, okay? Yeah. Um, so the quote is, never leave a company when you're running away from something. Wait until everything is going really well, then leave if it still makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you recall who you said that to? Absolutely. Or what, what? Yeah. I um, was a very talented man, gentleman, who worked at a pretty well-known global design consultancy. And he came to us thinking that he was going to look for a new job. Yeah. You know, I, I was excited to speak with him, yeah. super talented. I'm sure my clients would all have loved to hire him. But I felt his discontent that w- there was something there that he needed to wrestle with before yeah. taking a new job. And it would not be in his best interest to be placed at the wrong time. And yeah. it wouldn't be in my best interest if I want to bring integrity to my client relations and the submissions that we make. So I'm like, dude, you need to, you know, you need to wrestle with this problem that you're having internally with one of your colleagues. And until you wrestle with that, you're not, you're, it's just going to come to haunt you the next right. move. And I don't think you're making the move for the right reasons. Mm. And um, I would say that I, I played a very, um, like, gentle provocateur mm. in that process. And he stayed with the company, and he's there, and he's really happy, and he reimagined his role. Never got to place him. (laughs) But I got flowers, and I get lots of referrals from him (laughs) because he trusts that I I had his back. Mm -hmm. And it it was for the right reasons that I didn't represent him. Maybe one day I will. What role does uh, patience play in the development of someone's career? I would say patience is a pretty awesome virtue to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think employing patience in my process is an absolute if I want to take the long view mm-hmm. of a relationship versus the short-term you know, transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll have conversations with people that might just be a minute yeah. and then five years later an hour mm-hmm. and then three years later you know, could spend two full days together. Um, kind of depends on the person, mm-hmm. what they're willing to share, the timing of where they are in their life, their desire to make a change or not. But my approach has always been take a conversation with an interesting person, mm-hmm. and at some point that will play out the way it needs to. And for designers who can't get in a room with you, right? Um, and they're still very new in their career. And it's, it seems now that like the tenure, the average tenure that someone spends in a company, especially in the startup world, is very short. Mm-hmm. Um, what, shorter. Yeah, yeah. Like what questions should they be asking themselves um, before they actually think it's ready to move, right? Like it, it seems that a lot of them lack this patience and mm-hmm. want to just do it all. But what should they be asking themselves? Why am I leaving? Mm. And look themselves in the mirror and be honest about Am I leaving for money? Am I leaving because I don't get along with my boss? Am I leaving because I'm not passionate about the actual work? I'm leaving because I'm in the wrong role? Mm. I think these are the things that people need to really ask themselves. And then what can be overcome? And what, what's insurmountable? And I think being thoughtful about those considerations will hopefully help them see if they're running away from something mm-hmm. that will show up in their next job. No, it just happens. 
or if there's something that really they want to make, they need to make a fundamental shift mm-hmm. to, you know, be satisfied. So, what are some bad reasons to leave a company? Oh, that's money's a- not a bad reason to leave. Like, if you, I, I think, like my, my, I have, I have a template: people, purpose, and pay. Right. I actually yeah. think these three are equally important yeah. um, for the perfect job. Yeah. Right. So, uh, if any one of those two are out of sync, sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a good, maybe not a good reason to leave, but maybe a good reason to start asking the question, is this still where I want to be? I mean, right. Well, what, what are some other reasons why you might not want to be around? Uh, I mean, I think culture is key, right? If the culture is not right, I definitely think that's the reason to leave. Mm. I don't know if that's answering your question. I think money is a real consideration. Yeah. You know, it depends on where you are at this stage of your life. I think I do believe that focusing I think there's a lot of money out there right mm. now. And I think there are people who are making decisions for money. And I think in my experience has been in the last 20, 25 years, if you only make a decision based on money, mm. it's not sustainable. I agree. So you've interviewed hundreds, maybe thousands of designers. I would definitely, I would say, hundreds of thousands, (laughs) millions. Um, Like, I I just want to like step into your mind for a bit. Like, what are some of the best interview questions you you ask people to like get to understand them? Well, uh, let me rephrase rephrase the word interview to start. Like, I really like to approach every conversation as a dialogue. Okay, and. Um, I guess technically it's an interview, but I never want, well, let me take a step back. It depends on where I am in the conversation, right? Like if I'm just having an exploratory conversation, which I love having, I believe in them. I think that people should take more of those exploratory conversations to plant seeds for the possibility, not just for the moment at hand. Mm. Those questions, those conversations are a bit more overview, it's just finding a connecting moment, a nugget that we can share, laugh about. But I get something, some baseline, heart-based reading about who this person is um, and and take note of that. Um, then there are more, there are deeper level conversations where I think I might have a job for them, but I, I still want to keep it open-minded. I work my hardest not to have the first conversation, if it's possible, about a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather, even if I go and talk to somebody about a job, I'd rather be the second conversation than the first conversation. People will feel like they're sometimes being interviewed by me. Mm-hmm. But my hope is that they feel like it didn't feel like an interview as much as it felt like a great conversation where... Both parties learned about each other. Hmm. And my questions, I don't go by script anymore. Hmm. It's really a lot of strategic intuition employed in the conversation. I might ask meta questions like, you know, what makes you happy? Hmm. What do you love about your job today? What gets in your way of thriving? What's, you know, What's a reference? What's a what? What are you gonna give me that a reference? What t- give me somebody that you wouldn't give as a reference? Mm-hmm. Ooh, revealing. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot from that question. So, oftentimes I may only ask three, four, or five questions um, that are like at that meta level. Of course, I'm gonna ask like, why did you leave this position? Yeah. Um, you know, what was the reporting structure like? 
you know, what was the interdisciplinary team like? Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on the, the job and the person and the level. You said strategic intuition. It's, I mean, it sounds cool, but what do you mean by it? It's really, well, the intuition is something that you're just built with, like mm-hmm. any designer, right? Like you just naturally have these instincts about how to put something together mm-hmm. or how to get dressed in the morning. Yeah. Like you just have this intuitive piece. Um, and the strategy, the strategic piece is years and years of experience and exposure and insights that you've developed through conversation. So if you marry like that intuition, that Malcolm Gladwell thin slicing thing with the experience and the footprint that I've traveled on, I guess that's how I arrive at this notion of strategic insight, uh, strategic yeah. intuition. Do you, this is just a personal question, do you cold email designers? Of course. What do you say in this I email? Hope, uh, but I hope it's not cold. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you warm. Yeah. I send warm, warm emails. emails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Because when we're hired to do search, I'm not usually representing the people who are contacting me mm-hmm. at that moment. Mm-hmm. It's really going after the people that I think are going to be right for that position yeah. based on the criteria. So, in the in the early days of recruiting, every single outreach was a phone call Mm -hmm. and it was a phone call to the workplace Mm -hmm. where there was a receptionist that Mm -hmm. was screening your calls Mm -hmm. so i had two layers of people i needed to get through i had what lie did you tell to get to the (laughs) never lied actually (laughs) come on are you serious never lied it was (laughs) we did training at wharton company Mm -hmm. with a woman who passed away but she was amazing and Mm -hmm. the rule was never lie to Mm -hmm. get past that door now you can be clever which we had to employ cleverness to get past the door. And I don't think I'm going to tell you all my tools and tricks Mm. on today's call. But um, so we didn't have email when we first started. And um, so I had to just make, I had to call them. Mm. And I had to connect with them on the phone, right? It wasn't Skype. There wasn't email. There wasn't Google Hangout. Um, Today, it's almost weird to get a phone call. Mm before you get that intro email. Mm -hmm. I think people are just used to that medium. So, you know, my emails are pretty basic. Sometimes I'm very explicit why I'm contacting them. I have this search. Um, It reports to this individual. If you're interested in the position, let me know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I may not be sure that they're right for the position because I don't know enough about them yet and I don't want to be off the mark. So I might just say, I have an opportunity that I'm working on. I would love to have a conversation with you. Would you be open to a dialogue? Mm-hmm. So in your conversations, uh, well, the way you describe the conversations you have with designers earlier sounds kind of like a therapy session, right? Which is, would you, would you agree? I think that I, I will provoke important topics. Mm-hmm. I think I will challenge some notions. Yeah. I will, um, one of my candidates of... 15 plus years who's now a friend he always he, he refers to me as the coconut girl mm-hmm. because I'm like sort of I can be hard sometimes on the outside and, and pointed in my delivery mm-hmm. but on the inside I'm full of empathy mm-hmm. and vulnerability just like every other mm-hmm. designer um, and I but I don't know if I would want to say therapy because mm-hmm. um, there's a there is a limit 
I do think sometimes you'll feel like they've gone through some sort of transformation after the conversation, okay. yeah. even if it's a, a like wakening their eyes to something yeah. that they all of a sudden heard themselves saying. Yeah. But I would I'd rather think of it as that I'm coaching and that okay. I'm guiding and I'm provoking honesty. Yeah, I mean, I, so, I, I remember our, our first conversation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and you came up more like a friend than I'd say. Aren't we friends? Well, we're here now. We're yeah. friends for mm-hmm. sure. Um, we hug each other now yeah. when we see each yeah. other, which is yeah. great. <laughs> this is what I hope to obtain right. in all my conversations. Right. Um, Not everyone hugs as well as you do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big hugger. Yeah. Um, I so I remember you coming off as a as a friend, which mm-hmm. was interesting because that, that was the moment where I realized you were cut from a different cloth, um, and I and which is like a really good I mean Thank a you. good cloth a better cloth. Um, that does that personality that you have make people want to like open up to you a little too much? Um, you know, there's there's lots of different personalities out there. I think yeah. that there are certain people who appreciate that approach, yeah. and I do get that feedback mm. that you know that I'm that people somehow trust I'm coming from the right place. Yeah, um, I definitely feel like there is a stigma in the industry around recruiting, and so sometimes it an earned it, stigma. I think like it, like most recruiters have earned the stigma that is placed on. Would you not agree with that? I honestly, I don't think that would be for my for me to say in this well, conversation. That's for me to say anyway. I've worked with enough. Of I I think that I I believe that technology and that easy access to people. Yeah. You know, when I started, LinkedIn didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. Sure. LinkedIn has become a tool for some, like myself, but for some, it's become the tool. Mm. And I think there's a difference. And the problem with LinkedIn, even though we all love and use LinkedIn on some level, um, is that people misuse the medium. And so designers um, have an a, a allergy relationship to recruiters sometimes because they're in, the great designers are being inundated all the time yeah. and they're being inundated through that medium mm-hmm. and you often see LinkedIn profiles now disappearing mm-hmm. people don't want to be bothered anymore or they'll specifically say if you're a recruiter <laughs> please don't contact, don't contact yeah. me yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you would tell any recruiter who's listening to this and actually feels that they are stigmatized against mm-hmm. um, something that they can change in their approach to actually get through that door with the designer or any person. Well, it depends again on the individual. Like there are some great recruiters who I think have that personal touch. Mm-hmm. And then there are some recruiters who are really they're salespeople. Mm-hmm. And they're salespeople first and their metrics at their organization require them to deliver X number of closed headcount. Mm-hmm. And so their system that they work within forces that approach. Um, of the hundreds, maybe even thousands of designers who you've interacted with, uh, have you noticed any common themes or, or threads you can tie between them in terms of what sets them on a career path mm-hmm. that is really good? Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's like there's two overarching bits, and then we could break it down and create this org chart based on our org system. Um, One is the mastery of their craft. Mm. And I think 
whatever that craft is, they, they own it, that, they own that space, they're perfecting it, they're surrounding themselves by other amazing people in that area, and, they're, and this takes time, of course, mm -hmm. right? But there's this constant evolution of the mastery of their craft. Mm -hmm. And then there's what I would refer to as sort of the mastery of themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, having a level of self-reflective um, perspective about keeping their exuberance in check. Mm -hmm. We know there's a lot of exuberance in the industry. I think mm -hmm. a little is okay. A lot is going to trip them up at some point, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's those two things at a very broad level that make for what I believe to be an amazing creative, leadership, humanity, craft, mm -hmm. so, um, you know, other things like collaborative yeah. skills, textured minds, you know, that they, 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 they're able to think expans expansively, elastic minds. Mm -hmm. I think those are the people that are going to stand out from to the top. And the designers you've helped place at some amazing organizations, um, did they have mastery of these two things already or were they just self-aware to the fact that they Well, I think we're all, we become masters over time, but you can have little masteries yeah. along yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, and I think you're sort of wired some of these things you can learn, but some things you're just, you're wired a certain way through observing your parents and how they got through their journeys. Mm -hmm. um, you pick up good habits, you pick up bad habits. Um, so I think, I mean, I was a really good student in high school, you know, so I was sort of the master in high school and I was a really an A student in college. So, you know, these things, these, these themes pass on through various life cycles of your professional evolution and personal mm -hmm. evolution. So I get that, that personal mastery and, and professional, professional craft-based mastery yeah. are, are two things that you'd probably give advice to every designer, every person. No matter, have, no but, matter. Um, but I'll say it to someone in high school. I'll yeah. say someone in kindergarten in, in a different language, of <laughs> yeah, course, yeah. but... But every time isn't we that what we're here for? Is to to master like our our oh, the I, reason I, we're on this planet? Absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, master being a good human being, right? Like that's a good thing. Um, every time you and I have a conversation, I mention someone in the industry, and you say, "Yeah, I know that person. Yeah, you know, this is I worked with this person for the last fifteen years, and that person for the last twenty years, and it's crazy." Like I think Jared and I walk away every time we talk to you, or we're just like, "How does she know all yeah, these people?" Yeah. Like we know like half our lineup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So or the whole. so so. So I get that professional and personal mastery is a blanket statement for every human being mm -hmm. on planet Earth. But for the 1%, the best people yeah. that you've worked with yeah. over your 20, 25-year recruiting career, yeah. what are their secrets? You know, like Is there like a thing there? I think there's a, like, a, a certain level of resilience. Oh, sure. Um, endurance. Yes. Um, Optimism, relentless optimism, um, vision. Like they have a vision and they know themselves enough that they're going to fight for that vision. Mm. And they are, 
it's, this is like a, a side note, but m- many of the really incredibly talented people are surrounded by other really mm. incredibly talented people. So mm. there's this drive to to be amongst that community. And for the the younger generation of designers, right, who are still who are just getting into the industry and still trying to figure some things out, um, have you noticed any patterns of things that they seem to be overlooking? But you know, like you, you mentioned, result. You mentioned the characteristics of this top one percent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, some of those skills they just inherently had, and some of yeah. them they built along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there has to be two or three things that you've noticed. A lot of young people are looking over that they're missing out yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I would say to that, and I think this is this is a generational issue, and I think it's because, at least for designers, design they only know that design is important, they don't know when design wasn't as important as it is today. So they take that for granted. And they don't, they, they haven't experienced a little bit of that apprenticeship mm. that we had to do when we were just starting out. And so there's a certain amount of uh, entitlement mm. that I think sometimes can get in the way of advancement and learning. And if there's a problem at work, they've got four other job offers mm. and 20 mm. other LinkedIn inquiries right. presenting them with the next thing. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we focus on the more senior level is because we, we want people to kind of get through that process a little bit mm. of the, the, um, the ebb and flow of the early stages of your career. And I think inevitably, the industry's not always going to be as healthy and, and vibrant as it is today. Um, and they may be surprised that they're not going to have lunches paid for and gym memberships paid for. Sure. There, there will maybe be another time that comes. I, maybe, maybe not. Um, that not everything is going to be handed to you in quite the same way it might now. Mm-hmm. Um, design will be here, though. Design is important now. Design was, organizations were still, design wasn't as prevalent back when I started out. Design existed, Mm -hmm. but the amount of design in the industry now is just you you, you pick the right horse to back, and the, the, from an industrial standpoint, I think design is a good place to be right now. Um, when we come back, but when I picked design, though, it was not because I didn't say I'm going in to be a design sure, recruiter, yeah. and I know it's going to be this, and I'm going to make a lot of money. And I went into it because I was just banking on my relationships and my care for people mm-hmm. and my network, and that's how I started. It started in my living design. room. Like I didn't yeah. know where this was all going. Mm-hmm. Thanks again to Squarespace for supporting the show. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to get a domain, create a website, or build an online store. They make it simple to manage your online store and inventory, process orders, print packaging slips, and customize emails. Squarespace has powerful marketing tools. They ensure that search engines can find your store online, provide real-time analytics to help you gain customer insights, and let you connect with your customers on Facebook, Twitter, and more. If you've been thinking about starting your own online store, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code HIGHRESOLUTION, that's one word, to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. We'd also like to thank our friends at Envision for their support. Envision is the world's leading product design platform, powering the future of digital design through their understanding of the importance of collaboration. They're used by some of the most innovative companies in the world, 
like Facebook, Capital One, Netflix, and Airbnb. I work with remote teams all the time, and I found that keeping a healthy dialogue is really important. Without it, building strong work relationships gets a lot harder, and that leads to poor collaboration. I've also found that prototypes are a great way for me to show my full vision for a design, and this helps cut down a lot of back and forth. Envision makes all of this really easy. You can rapidly prototype your designs and collaborate across every stage of your project, taking your ideas from concept to code. It simplifies virtually every aspect of the design workflow and makes collaboration a core part of the process for everyone, from project managers to designers, developers, and writers. Teams that build digital products are at a serious advantage when they use Envision's suite of prototyping and collaboration tools. It's the best way to get everyone on board. Visit envisionapp.com slash high resolution for three months free. Okay, so right before this, you pulled out your computer and you mm -hmm. sat us down mm -hmm. and you showed us a database that you put together mm -hmm. that's now 20 years old. Mm -hmm. 22. 22 years old with, <sighs> still blows my mind. <laughs> every person you've ever met in the yeah. industry, every conversation you've ever had tagged by keywords, tagged with calendar times, personal notes, how you contacted them. Um, and I don't even know what, like everything. Like mm -hmm. you have this relationship diagram, you understand people better than they understand themselves, which is a little bit mind-blowing. Talk to us about setting this up and how you use it today, because that sounds, it's a little scary. <laughs> if it's accurate, it's a little scary. Yeah. It is accurate. We um, made a very uh, intentional decision early on to invest in technology in our database. Yeah. This database operates like LinkedIn pre-LinkedIn. Um, everyone in our company has to use it and they have to respect it and honor it as it's a real tool. It's like, it's just, it's where we keep and save everything. It's a vault. It's a, a Rolodex of passions and dreams yeah. and stories and, and people's resumes and work from, you know, if, some, if I've represented somebody five, six, seven times over this period of time, I have every single portfolio that they've ever put together. Wow. And often as people write, hey, do you have my, not anymore because LinkedIn, but back in the day, pre-LinkedIn, like, hey, do you still have my resume? I need it to, right. like, refine. Um, but I think what's even more powerful about this tool, and we do, we are religious about um, saving data adding people in that we haven't spoken to yet that will no doubt be a person in our in our community that we want to have a conversation with. So it's it's not only who we've met and who we've spoken to, it's who we want to speak to. Mm -hmm. And philosophically to this day, that is how we approach our database. So it every I would you know the it expands daily in terms of new research, new personalities, but what's most what I'm, what I'm so passionate about with this database, it's really a, hit, a tool, it's, da it's big data. It it's is. data about the history of design, companies that no longer exist, companies that were developed by three people who were then acquired. And even over this course of this 22 year history, the keywords that we had mm. back then mm -hmm. We used to have information architecture, then we changed it to interaction design, then we changed it to UX, we built in usability, human factors, then it became <laughs> consumer experience design, yeah. 
now it's VR and now it's VC. Designers yeah. are in the VC world. Yeah. It's big data. It's yeah, data viz. Yeah. It's management consultant. These. This is like the history of design is mm. if like we have keywords that show when in time That's the switch of cool. nomenclature to one role to the next role yeah. to the next role. And we save every data point and we have um, portfolio critics that will, you know, over the years that have been incredible at putting language like we'll, we'll have looked at a portfolio or an old website or an old WordPress yeah. and we'll take note of that even if it's we haven't met them yet but it's like a snippet and I actually have a really awesome snippet that okay. I wanted to share with you yeah. um, and this was back in 2007 that one of our um, one of my team members wrote and they wrote, can't link to, in this was in 2007, can't link to anything from his Juice Studio website, but clearly has a passionate, funny tone to his creative work and um, really like what he did on Crit Bun's site, which was a RISD uh, graduate project. Mm. Um, not sure if you've heard of Crit Buns, but it's basically a portable foam seat cushion, <laughs> easy to clean, that was created because people's butts hurt when they were doing mm -hmm. design crits. And then she went on to write, an entrepreneurial ID talent, need to see more work to judge, um, but you know the work that he was doing at Chronicle Books and what I know of Chronicle and what I see of Joe's work, they look like a good match. His work is humorous, clean, across media, youthful, sparky with high production values. This person, Joe, whose portfolio we reviewed in 2007 is now the co-founder of Airbnb. Joe Gebbia. Joe <laughs> so these are the data points wow. that we have before <laughs> they become... Does he know that you have his data point? That's well, incredible. Well, he might now. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Tag That's him amazing. on YouTube. Yeah. All right, done. Yeah. yeah. But we have this. This is... It, I mean, to me, this is like... I, I have these little... It's like your mother, you know... Holding on to your elementary, of course, you know, yeah. uh, uh, report card. Yeah. But these are the foundational, like, building blocks in which I begin to know someone. That's an amazing and, story. Yeah. You've been, I mean, it, that's amazing. You've been collecting all this information for over 20 years, yeah. right? 20, um, well, 22. Wharton Company was founded in 95, so that's almost 22, 22 years. Yeah. I've been recruiting since. For 25. Yeah. So over the course of that time, um, you know, you, you spoke about the tags um, in your database system. Yeah, the keywords. It almost sounds like uh, like Google Trends analytics, like just seeing what what spikes, what dips, what spikes, what dips. Absolutely. Um, back then. I'm actually going to be working with um, a database. That's um, gonna be cool. Are you gonna like publicize it? No. Yeah, that, no. We're are going. You we're going to That's work cool. on a project where yeah. we are going to be able to map history, not the entire history of design, mm -hmm. but. Oh, you I know, see. Yeah. An overview over yeah. those years, and yeah, not by naming people. No, yeah. you can't do that. <laughs> so, give give us a sneak peek. Other of than Joe, right? right? Joe <laughs> might be okay with that. So, so give us a sneak peek of what we might see in that. Like, what were what was the design industry trying to understand back then um, that is obvious to us now? Yeah. And if you have seen any trends yet, what is kind of interesting right now that might be obvious to us in the future? Yeah. So. We're seeing lots of trends. We're seeing um, designers take on new roles. Um, 
just by the fact of like if we've tagged a designer like yourself, VC, because mm-hmm. you're in the VC world, that didn't exist before. Yeah. Um, I think I think the biggest trend is really around roles. Um, you know, companies since we've been in business have come to us because of our commitment to design. Mm-hmm. You know, our tagline in in 1995 was where design is integral to business success. We, that, we actually, actually, I have the magazine, ID Magazine, this issue is from 1997. Wow. Um, literally 20 years old. <laughs> it, I mean, this was when interaction design really just became, you know, a discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's the roles and the, the intersection between business and design that have come together more than ever and that designers are at the same table as the business person. And in some cases, the CEO is the designer, sure. as we know, mm-hmm. design-led companies. So um, I think it's where they play in the food chain of the organization, you know, that people have really, they have a seat at the table now. Mm-hmm. They're included in those important conversations. Mm-hmm. They're now in the McKinsey's. They're so, in the management consulting. Yeah. Um, We've had kind of a front row seat to that evolution. In fact, I remember around this time, there was a company called Studio Archetype, which was run by Clement Mock. Mm. And we were doing recruiting for them. And it was one of the very first digital studios that employed this notion of interaction design. And um, they were acquired by Sapient. Mm. And we, Wharton Company, was invited to sit at that very first meeting where the engineers of Sapient and the designers of Studio Archetype were sitting in the room together for the first time thinking about how they were going to work together. Hmm. Now, think about that today. I mean, the engineer and designer, they may still have this, but it's a given that they're going to work together. That was new back then. That was a breakthrough. I think you showed us earlier... uh, Something in that magazine that's oh that's yeah the, this uh, ad this was our very first this was our very first advertisement um, that we placed in ID magazine and ID magazine was like really truly an amazing magazine and it was um, every discipline of design in a slightly more classical sense mm-hmm. you know interactive design environment design graphic design industrial design. Um, but it was really an amazing foundation for the design. I still, to this day, am sad this doesn't exist. But of course, if this did exist, we would have all kinds of new, you know, they had award judges, right, per category. The judges, the categories would be so different today. Yeah. I mean, you know, drone design, sure. data design, had, I mean, Medical and health did exist in here, but not to the extent, you know, the whole patient experience. Sure. There's so many new areas that design plays a role now. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So when these companies come to you, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time they have their own internal recruiters, mm-hmm. right? So it strikes me as not maybe not peculiar, but interesting that the internal recruiting teams of these large companies that yeah. have all the resources in the world still come to you. Like right. you, you're bringing something new and different. Right. What is that thing? Well, let, we'll speak about today because yeah. you're right, like many of these large companies now have in-house capabilities mm. and have built capacity because they can't hire enough designers sure. to sustain their 
their vision as a company. Um, Wharton Company mostly focuses on the senior level. Mm. And so when companies come to us, maybe there's a new CEO, there's a new mandate, there's a new vision, there's yeah. some new initiative that typically is happening and they need reach mm. and they need access. And access doesn't necessarily mean, and they need consulting. Like we play a role in helping to think about their org touch org structure, we we give them an outside perspective. If they're in their own world, yeah. they can only see their world on mm -hmm. some level. And sure. it's always through the lens of that company. Yeah. I'm bringing an overview from lots of different companies. So I think, um, but what I was going to say is, access doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't necessarily mean having the resume. Sure. It means being able to reach that candidate in a meaningful way to help them think about why this position is good for them mm -hmm. and helping the client to manage that process. And in most cases, we work, we may work with the HR, but we have direct access mm -hmm. yeah. to the decision maker. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Our and when we don't, it's not as successful. Mm -hmm. Are companies now looking for leaders in areas of design that surprise you? Well, nothing surprises me anymore because <laughs> everything changes mm -hmm. regularly as the industry and as technology is you know, bringing new invention to the, today's conversation. Um, you know, AI, VR, media is sort of taking an, an interesting um, replay, um, organizational development, you know, designers that are really playing, you know, taking taking care of helping to shape an organization. Mm. Um, big data, machine learning, these are all things that we're exploring now with clients. How can companies create a culture of empowerment for designers? I think they need to put designers in charge and put the really strong, amazing design thinkers in charge who have a strategic understanding of systemic minds and who care about design inculcating into everything that they do and every way they behave. In charge of what though? Is this the, the business, the organizational structure? Like what? What should, what should they should, be in charge yeah, of? Yeah, what should they be spearheading? I think they can, I think designers have, you know, depends on the designer. Mm. There's the business-minded designer. They're more apt to be involved in sort of the structure of an organization. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of designers taking on new roles now that are, it's not about creating a delightful experience per se. It's, it, they're, they're committed to experience mm -hmm. design, but they may be contributing to the conversation within an organization in a much more business-minded way. So we've spoken a lot about how you approach recruiting mm -hmm. and um, matching people to great opportunities, mm -hmm. right? Um, but just thinking a little bit more broad now, for anyone hiring anyone, mm -hmm. right? Um, whether this is a recruiter or a manager, it really doesn't matter. Um, what, what is something that you would tell them to mm -hmm. think about and to pay attention to right. when they now have to go and do that? Right. So. I know everyone's in a hurry, they need that person right away. And they, they 
can't build what we have built if they've only been at a company two or three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've planted a lot of seeds. I mean, I have, I feel like my community is a mm-hmm. garden full of all different kinds of flowers and a few weeds and whatnot. Um, the advice I would give is take the long view. Mm-hmm. Build the relationship with great talent. Don't close the door, even though I know there are time constraints, but don't close the door to having a conversation with an A player. Mm-hmm. Missed opportunity. You know, sometimes I will hear a client say, it doesn't fit the brief, doesn't match the brief. Mm-hmm. But this person is interested in your company. They're incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. Like, have the conversation and plant the seed now. It may not sprout for two years from now mm. if you take that long view. And I think if recruiters internally have metrics that they need to abide by, it's like, it's not, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to be here in two mm. years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think getting decision makers involved early on and having that lunch or coffee will have a lot of mileage. Time is tough, yeah. people are busy. This is how I built my community. And if you want to, and good designers know good designers. Mm. If they have one bad experience interviewing in your company and they've gone through a process and they haven't felt like they've been treated well, domino. Yeah. It's going to happen. I think that's really good advice. Mm. I think that's a good segue mm-hmm. into what we call community questions. Mm-hmm. We have oh. some community <laughs> questions. Oh, right. Um, so we reached out to our community mm-hmm. and we asked them what's burning up inside of them, what they want to know about, mm-hmm. and we have three questions for you. Okay. Sound good? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so the first question is, how should designers explain the role of design to people in their business? Uh, in their company that's yeah. not design driven already? Okay, so that's a fair point. I, I think since most companies are probably not design driven, mm-hmm. yes. 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 Design is going to make the experience for the user a better experience and a more delightful experience Mm -hmm. through the use of design and design thinking. It's going to have function and it's going to have form. Mm -hmm. It's going to delight and it's going to work. And for the business person that pushes back and says, yeah, 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 okay, I get it. That's cool. What then? So the designer, because the reason I ask that is I think designers get this advice a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So tell them about the value of design, show them bad design mm-hmm. so that they understand what good design mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- like one of the areas where I think a lot of designers probably get stuck is the moment, the moment they try and express the value of design mm-hmm. by showing someone an example of good design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that they still don't break through. Takes time to ah. build design culture and to build design understanding from top on down. And you have to be invested in that 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 timeline. That yeah. it's not overnight. It doesn't happen overnight, especially if it's not a design led company or that is CEO is not a designer it takes time and you have to find an ally within the organization that's going right. to that you believe kind of gets it mm-hmm. and you're going to take baby steps to influence that conversation 
from one people to two people to three people yeah. to a board meeting. Yeah. And, and this is, I'm just following on, this is not a secondary community question, right. but um, uh, where a design leader goes into a company that isn't design-led, would you, would you give the design leader advice to make a deal with their hiring manager, whether it's a CEO or VP of product or whatever, mm -hmm. not to judge design for a specific amount of time just because it takes that long to incubate, set up, and really start driving some results? I mean, you have to have, I, I'm not sure it's just with HR. I think it's with, you know, the leaders of the business that you need to negotiate expectation. Absolutely. And, yeah. and help decide, you know, what is that time period? What does success look like for yeah. you as the hiring manager the first year, the first three years, and negotiate that understanding? Absolutely. So carrying on that thread, the second question is when you're the only designer at a business. Yeah. How do you convince leadership of its value? Kind of the same way. Mm -hmm. You've defined an ally within the company, designer or not. If mm -hmm. you're the only designer, then there isn't another designer, yeah. but there's somebody who might be empathetically wired who you have to find that person mm -hmm. and you have to negotiate that and you have to build momentum and you yeah. have to build this muscle. Yeah. And muscles take time to build. Is there, I, any, is there any like pattern in what kind of person at a business tends to be that like a good ally Someone who's got really good social skills, mm -hmm. or they, they influence through their amazing work. Okay. I mean, you can be an influencer in lots of yeah. different ways, yeah. but I think someone who is incredibly talented and trustworthy, but they might be, very, they might be introverted. Mm -hmm. Chances are, though, if you're going to go be the first designer mm -hmm. in a company, yeah. for it to work, they need to have some social intelligence. So I've actually found two characteristics of the best kind of ally. Yeah. I wonder if you'd agree. So the first is, you're 100% right, it's the social skills, it's the political skills, and hopefully it's someone that actually has some influence in the company. So mm -hmm. they're not, you know, someone who's trying to be political at the entry level, but actually at the VP or if higher level. If the CEO level. of the company, the head of the company, does not want to meet this right. young designer in the interview process, game over. Mm. Well, so the second, the second characteristic that I've actually found is if you can find that political, good speaking person, and if they have good taste, mm -hmm. right? Like if you can, wow. like, like I, and I send me who that person is. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I found like, in, especially in big companies, you're bound. I mean, just the way numbers work in these mm -hmm. large companies, you're bound to find someone at the top who has good taste to help drive design uh, to the right people in right. the organization. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, whoever's sending you this question in your community does have that. Yes. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Okay. Well, we have one more question. Okay. Yep. Okay, so we can end with this one. As the per as the purpose of design and the function of design mm -hmm. continues to evolve, um, what roles and methodologies do you think will emerge over the next five years? Yeah. Methodologies, I'm not sure I would answer that question, but I think we're going to be talking about, as the conversation continues, we're going to be talking about machine ethics, we're going to be talking about machine learning, mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about humanity, we're going to be talking about civic engagement, we're going to be talking about government. We're going to be talking about education in a much more meaningful way. Well, I, in a much more um, 
critical way because of where the world is today and how complicated things have become. And I think design in its best form can play such an important role and be an integral part of being at the United Nations, Mm -hmm. being one day maybe even in the White House. Mm -hmm. Who knows? And in fact, if they get in the White House, they're probably in my database. That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) That's amazing. You know, one day I may get a search for a chief drone officer. Mm. I don't know. You know, you just don't know what's to come, but you know that technology and humanity have to coexist. That's a good place to end. Thank you, Judith. Thank Thank you. you. Hey, you made it to the end. Congratulations. Thanks for watching the episode. I really, really hope you liked it. If you did like it, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And by the way, if you have any questions that came up because of the content that, that we covered with our guests, Go on YouTube, go on Twitter. You can tweet us, you can leave us a comment. We'll get back to you, we'll help you as much as possible. At High Res Podcast. That's the, the screen name or the handle for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook. Find us, talk to us, we wanna converse with you. Uh, we're not gonna leave here, by the way, without also thanking our friends at Searle Video. They've been an amazing partner on this entire project. So Searle Video is a creative studio based out of Portland, Oregon. They've helped creative communities tell stories for over 10 years. They've done advertisements, behind the scene footage, um, and documentaries for companies like Google, Slack, XOXO Festival, Adobe, Intel. They're incredible. They've traveled with us through the entire country documenting these stories with our guests. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Searle. Listen, if you're a startup looking to elevate your product, if you're a big company looking to humanize your brand, if you're someone in the creative community who just wants to tell a story, you've got to check out the team at Searle Video. It's searlevideo.com, S-E-A-R-L-E, video.com. Check out our friends at Searle. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have been incredible on this project.